We look forward to seeing you at Two Days of Truth being presented by Beyond Labels. It's our fourth annual Two Days of Truth Summit. This year's theme is Detox is for Everybody. We're bombarded by everything from chemtrails to EMFs to pesticides, herbicides, even uh, toxic people. We're going to deal with all of these aspects at the Two Days of Truth Summit coming up. Sina, give us the final information. I'm really excited about this summit. I think this is going to be our best one yet. It's June 14th and 15th at Polyface Farm. We have some fantastic speakers like Sayer G, the founder of Green Med Info, uh, Dr. Leland Stillman, who's been featured by Wise Traditions lately, Hilda Labrada-Gore, affectionately known as Holistic Hilda, you and me, of course, we also have, for the first time ever, a kids and teens program. So now the adults can enjoy the adult side while they know that their kids and their teens are having fun while also being educated by Joel, myself, and Hilda. It's going to be a blast. And this year, what we're going to do is we're going to actually teach you ancient and modern techniques for how to detoxify the body, mind, and spirit. And we're going to help you put together a personalized plan like an action plan that you can take home and start. As soon as you arrive home, you can implement this action plan and start your detoxing. You know, listen, folks, Polyface is only eight hours from half of the U.S. population. Take a long weekend, come join us, and uh, you'll rub shoulders with other like-minded people, find our tribe, and be encouraged. It's a lonely place out there lots of times, especially if you're a bit of a maverick. So come and spend time with other mavericks and get encouraged, inspired, and enthused about living a more healthy life. So I love the topic for this year, detoxification. It is one of the most important topics that we could ever address at our health summit. Because as Joel mentioned, everyone, every single person needs to know how to detoxify their body, mind, and spirit in order to achieve optimal health and wellness. It was a way of reminding people that that's probably not the case given just how much resilience is actually hard-coded into our genome and all the ways in which our body, when you remove the interference, um, just naturally attains great health and well-being. And so that was really the focus and it was inspired by my own incredible journey of having been really sick and gone through all types of allopathic procedures to try to maintain health and ultimately Natural medicine is what saved my life. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Beyond Labels. I'm Dr. Stina McCullough. And today I have with me Sayer G. Sayer is an author. He wrote an amazing book called Regenerate. If you don't have it, you need to get a copy. It's fantastic. He's also an activist, a speaker, and a widely recognized thought leader in the natural health and wellness space. In 2008, Sayer founded GreenMedInfo.com. It's an online resource where consumers and healthcare professionals alike can access evidence-based clinical data without having to go through the complexity of searching and navigating multiple health institutions. I can tell you that I get a lot of my original source references from GreenMedInfo.com. It's fantastic. Now, Sayer also has a class coming up it is called Regenerate Yourself Masterclass. It is free. It is also online. It's November 28th through December 4th. And if you want to register for that class, we have a link in the description box below. Just click on the link and sign up. 
Sayer, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm so happy to be back. We had such a good time the first time. Yes, yes. Yeah. Okay, I have a ton of questions for you. This interview is probably going to go in all different kinds of directions, all right? So are you ready? That's the best. I like that the best. Let's do it. <laughs> okay, my first question is, you wrote this book, Regenerate. Now you're doing this masterclass to teach us all how to harness our given, our God-given ability to regenerate our bodies. What motivated you on this course, like on the path that you're on right now? What inspired this? Well, I love the fact that you said God-given, right? Because that was really what it was like for me. I had a flash of insight one day around how our body is like this living and breathing miracle that even from the conventional perspective, right, of um, looking at the body's cells, um, how they replicate, it appears that there is a, a cell line in our body that is basically been replicating since the beginning of what, you know, conventional science says is the beginning of time, biological time. And, and it's, it's, it's a sign of how um, resilient we are. And, and, and it's a way of understanding that when we're up against a world where we're told that, you know, much of the health problems we have are just sort of inherited from distant ancestors that, you know, we might get some arbitrary glitches in our uh, DNA and then, you know, we end up sick. It was a way of reminding people that that's probably not the case, given just how much resilience is actually hard coded into our genome and all the ways in which our body, when you remove the interference, um, just naturally attains great health and well-being. And so that was really the focus. And it was inspired by my own incredible journey of having been really sick and gone through all types of allopathic procedures to try to maintain health and ultimately natural medicine is what saved my life. And so for me, it, it felt like kind of a spiritual journey as well. And I'm very grateful, you know, for my body. I didn't create it. So you can start invoking a creator if you like, because I think that's a legitimate way of understanding uh, the miracle of our body and to be grateful for it. I love that. You know, not many people know that you actually went through a healing journey yourself, that you were very sick at one point. You know, we see you now as like this icon of health, right? This expert in this field of health and wellness. But you, I think you were inspired on this path in part because of how sick you got, right? Can you explain to us, share with us a little bit about your own healing journey? Yeah, sure. I, for me, you know, when I was uh, born, it was only about six months in then I started to have severe bronchial asthma episodes where they needed to, you know, inject me with epinephrine and other medications like corticosteroids to keep me alive. At least that was the conventional narration around what happened. But over time, um, you know, I would undergo various complications of these medications, um, not to mention trauma, because when they inject you with epinephrine, when you're just an infant, um, it's, it's arguably something that really makes you feel a lot of fear and a lot of trauma. And that that's something I carried with me for some time. So I had to do a lot of work on understanding the true causes of why I was experiencing asthma and uh, ultimately, it was as simple as removing cow's milk when I was 17. Of all things, you know, my mother didn't realize when she put me on formula at six months that the cow's milk was a key ingredient in, in my asthma. And so I, as, as recently as a few weeks ago, I started to kind of 
slip a bit of it in my diet. And I, I love Indian curry, for example. And so there was some milk in it. And I started to be like, oh, I could have a little bit of it. And then over the course of a week, I was practically asthmatic again. So for whatever reason, it was as simple as that. Now, had my culture, you know, been different, had I been born into a rigid diet, or maybe, you know, like an ancestral template, which I know you and, and Joel often advocate for, uh, I may not have had to have suffered that way. So for me, I, I really, it drove me to want to communicate to others that sometimes the dietary factors are essential in, you know, your risk for certain chronic conditions. And we're not really being told that by the conventional medical establishment. So, you know, that's what really drove me initially to share my story. And then, Create Green Med Info, which has about 80,000 abstracts um, that are indexed that support natural medicine, alternative medicine, and of course, um, dietary-based approaches to health and wellness. So do you think your experience would have been different if the milk would have been like raw A2, A2 milk? Amen. Yes. In fact, I'm so glad you mentioned that. I Absolutely. My research has also led me to understand that the differences in these casein configurations are dramatically, you know, um, they, they, they're so dramatic that A2, right, is, is something where if I had been exposed to that, I arguably would have not had asthma and or if it was raw, not, you know, shot through with you know, homogenization. And then of course, sometimes there's even titanium dioxide they were using in some milks to make it look whiter. As I know, you're an expert yourself in this topic, the problems with conventional milk, we could spend several hours talking about it. Whereas the good stuff we used to get, you know, in the traditional way, um, assuming a certain genotype, I believe, see my mom is blonde hair, blue eyed, fair skin. My father's Korean. In her tradition, you know, she has no challenges with dairy that we can tell, but my father did as well. So, cause it wasn't part of his tradition. So there is something to be said for looking at, you know, how the nutrigenomics fits in with the genomics, you know? And for me, yeah, cow's milk was not gonna work. Although, like you said, like actually I have experimented with goat's milk products and I am actually able to tolerate them just fine. So that's another example where exactly the, the the type and the quality is is the determining factor. Okay. So do you drink milk now? Like I, I've seen you write about things like uh very much in line with my perspective that we lived most of our existence without domesticated animals. And so we wouldn't have had access to anything but the breast milk. Mm -hmm. So for me, um, and milk was a big trigger for me as well. In my own healing journey, I had to remove it completely. Um, oh. I'm no longer sensitive to it, but I still don't um, regularly consume it um, because I just don't think for my ancestral templates, um, mm. it's compatible. Uh, so do you feel, do you still perceive it that way? That this is something that is newer in our diets, you know, because it only would have really happened after the domestication of animals. And so the majority of us may in fact have difficulty with milk to some extent. It's a really good question. And there's a lot of complexity there. I, I saw, you know, the origin of, I guess, the conventional Western uh, diet or the Neolithic transition, right, to, to using grains as the substrate for your entire economy and culture. 
you know, it was coterminous with the introduction of animal husbandry. So those two things happened simultaneously. Um, so that's a relatively recent time. Obviously, there's been a lot of work, right, within the sort of paleo movement to uh, contextualize things within the geologic skills of time that theoretically um, are required to alter, you know, the um, the gene sequences, you know, in our genome. We're talking about hundreds of thousands, even millions of years. So that's in that context. Um, yes, it does seem as if consuming milk from other animals is relatively recent, right? That said, there's so much research now that I'm super interested in. In fact, Regenerate was also inspired by a lot of this research on microRNAs, which are, you know, <clears throat> nucleic acids basically that are in the foods we eat, that in the case of these microRNAs are able to control um, in some way, the expression of the majority of the protein coding genes. So they're very powerful. They're invisible. You're not seeing them in the milk you're drinking, but bovine exo exosomes are intended for baby cow. So they will alter our genome in such a way that we, they, we will lean more towards bovine characteristics. That's one reason why weightlifters will use massive amounts of whey and casein. It's not just because of the protein type, but it's also, I believe, because of the, you know, hormone growth factors, the exosomes that contain the microRNAs that alter their physiology to be more like a cow. So it's really interesting how we can become almost a little bit chimeric, depending on what animal foods we consume. Um, so it, it's a complex topic, um, but uh, one that I, I enjoy having, because I certainly haven't come up with all the answers at this point it's just interesting you know <clears throat> i completely agree and for my my current perception on it because it is such a complex topic is that it depends on in that moment what my body is communicating with me right mm -hmm. tapping into that mm -hmm. intuition to see does my body want that milk even if it's raw a2a2 you know totally grass-fed grass-finished cow does my body want that at this time and so for me, that's my answer to people is if you can tap into that intuition, then your body is the best doctor, best nutritionist you can find, because it will tell you in that moment what it needs and what it doesn't want. I mean, do you agree? I, I absolutely agree with that. In fact, it's the perfect um, answer when it comes to discussions on topics like this that are so scientifically alienating, you know, like talking about the genome and microRNAs, we're trying to, the question is, is the milk good for you or not? And, and the way to answer that, as you're properly stating, it's, it's what you could call the N of one, right? The clinical trial of one person, which is the basis for my understanding of what should be, you know, the primary driving factor in anything we do medically is if, if you have a relationship with your body, First and foremost, you know, the experience you have and the intuition you develop and the dialogue of self-care, that is the answer in almost every situation. And it's not to say that we shouldn't experiment or maybe we go off the path like I did the other week with uh, the curry and, and, and you get this feedback and you learn from it. It's like life. You learn to actually develop greater intuition because maybe you've experienced something that wasn't good for your physiology. So you can't really lose when you dedicate yourself to developing this um, self-awareness uh, that you're talking about. Yeah, I completely agree. And for me, that is the core of personalized medicine, 
you know, like now we have functional testing and all this, you know, test for all your food sensitivities and your, you know, genetic makeup. But for me, the, the real personalized medicine is um, connecting with self, connecting with that intuition, just like you said. Um, now, you talked about the microRNAs. So what I'm wondering is, um, what do you think of this concept that we exchange these micro RNAs, like when we're together speaking, you know, um, you know, in person that we are actually kind of chimeric that we're exchanging this genetic information between each other. I love this question because, you know, I started to understand better the power of what is called lateral transfer of genetic information when looking at viruses and how despite conventional fears around them only being deadly or only being a problem, we have so many so-called viral um, you know, sequences in our bodies that it's actually impossible to distinguish what is self and other when it comes to these, which is why they've coined the term virome to describe the natural communities of so-called viral particles that exist in healthy people, asymptomatic people. Now, people like myself that have been studying this for at least a decade, right, before the rollout of the declared pandemic, where suddenly everyone was faced with the scenario that, you know, the world was being locked down, you shut down your businesses, there were things like forced uh, masking in order to go into a building, you know, People didn't really realize that there'd already been, gosh, 100 years plus debate on germ theory versus terrain theory. And um, horizontal transfer of genetic information is actually essential for our survivability over the eons that we have likely existed. And so before, of course, universal vaccine schedules, et cetera, we didn't have any of that for the vast majority of our successful survival. And then suddenly we're told that, no, actually you need infinite boosters and these 72 vaccines by the time you're you know, 18, it's just none of that really makes sense in the context of understanding how viruses actually perform an essential role. Now, really quickly, that role is this, is that if you're looking at like single nucleide polymorphisms or primary genetic sequence changes in the genome, like I said, it can take a huge amount of time for those changes to occur. So how does one adapt with the changing environment? Let's say the climate changes, the diet is completely altered. How does the body adapt? Well, it's actually done primarily through the microbiome, which includes the virome, and also viruses, which we know now are able to transfer genetic information from the environment into our bodies in such a way that we can adapt in almost real time, if not actual real time. So we eat a piece of broccoli, it's shot through with these microRNAs, and suddenly they're activating within us longevity pathways and upregulating glutathione and all these things that we need to handle the environment in a certain way. You couldn't get that from you know any other source, although the vaccine agenda at present is trying to use microRNAs and mRNA technologies to almost reproduce exactly what happens between a healthy individual and their environment as me as mediated by germs and viruses, because they actually are friendly in most cases. They are helping us to transfer essential information into our bodies that we need to survive. I know that was very long-winded, sorry. No, I love that. I have tons of questions stemming from that one. Um, 
my first question is this. Do you, there are some people, you know, like Dr. Tom Cowan are debating whether or not viruses exist. And I think it might've been scientific journal virology. Maybe mm -hmm. in the last few years has come out and said, we actually don't know the difference between like a virus and an exosome. We can't, they may all be exosomes. They may also all be viruses. We don't know the difference. So do you think that viruses for sure exist or do you think it might be these exosomes with these microRNAs in it? What are your thoughts? It's a great question because um, early in the de declared pandemic, uh, Dr. Cowan reached out to me as well as Andrew Kaufman, and we had a number of discussions around this. And, you know, I've been talking about exosomes for some time because I was shocked to find that indeed, in many cases, they are indistinguishable from the nanoparticles that are emitted naturally from our cells. So some of those are called exosomes. There's also apoptotic bodies, which are released when a cell is undergoing programmed cell death, which is actually healthy because the stem cells come back and they replenish um, that tissue that's damaged. Uh, then there's also necrotic bodies when the cell's damaged that they release these particles that contain nucleic acids. Sometimes they're a lipid bilayer. So technically, it's almost as if we have a galaxy of micro or nanoparticles around the cell naturally. And when a cell is injured or de deficient in something so it can't maintain its integrity, or it's blasted with non-native EMF, or exposed to hundreds of thousands of toxicants, or assaulted by a transgenic vector like the COVID jabs, and so it alters their morphology, then those cells just start to degrade like what happens in a forest floor. You know, the little creepy crawlies come in and the mushrooms pop up and they're degraded so that the new cells can come and regenerate them. So instead of blaming the fire that the firefighters have come to try to put out on the firefighters, you know, we should look at the reality, which is it's about the health of the cell. And instead, the agenda is to blame little particles that after a lifetime of our body being exposed to these assaults of postmodern industrial living, they blame the victim. They blame, you know, they basically, the cell is dying because it's been mistreated, malnourished, deficient. And they say, oh no, it's these little particles in your body. So everything's kind of inverted from what I can say. But there is a ton, ton of evidence that there's been an attempt worldwide for many decades to weaponize naturally occurring particles within the body. So even the whole debate over did, you know, the coronavirus come from a bioweapons facility, you know, in Wuhan, you know, or the Ukraine or wherever. Yeah, unfortunately, governments of the world have been investing massive resources in clandestine projects to weaponize particles for the purposes of harming other nations and even experimenting on their own. It's all been documented and declassified. So that makes it difficult to say no viruses don't exist because we do know that they have attempted to weaponize those particles. So, but the, but even so, the reality is that when a cell is in its full state of resilience, the best example I can think of is a healthy cell wall has the same tensile strength as steel. And you can see that in clear, uh, you know, evidence when when you see a Shaolin warrior having like these these actual metal spears trying to impale them, and they, their their system resists, and that speaks to what you said early too around the biofield. So when when we understand that a healthy cell has 
the incredible power. In fact, one mitochondrion has the electric mm -hmm. uh, electric field strength potential of of um, was it thirty million volts, which is the same as a a, a lightning bolt. So so how do, where is that energy coming from? And if that's the power of the body, why are we so afraid of invisible particles that we can't even see that actually exist naturally in us around us? You know, it, it's pretty pretty amazing how we've been captured by germ theory, specifically the notion that all viruses are deadly, even though we can't see them. Yeah. Okay. Well, now, 50 more questions <laughs> just popped in my head. Um, let me, and I, I'm writing this down so I don't forget any of them. Let's go back to the one example that you just gave, because I've never heard that before, example pertaining to the biofield. So you're saying that so, they tried to impale somebody and they couldn't can you can you go in deeper explanation of that yeah so there are so many examples within like for example like uh, martial arts where you have examples of people that like crouching tiger hidden dragons an exaggerated hollywood example of people just flying in the air but when you look at some of the feats that they accomplish running up walls to having these um exhibitions where they're trying to impale them with actual swords and or spears of metal. And the, the, the resistance of the cell membrane is so intense that they can't pierce it. And that's because on a molecular level, it's been determined that a healthy cell wall can have the tensile strength of steel. So when we think about that, and then we think about viral theory, that there are these little invisible particles that someone might sneeze, and then one particle maybe ends up like in our nostril, or and then it, it kills us. Like people have been basically encouraged to believe their body is weak and susceptible when all the evidence tells us that it has such an extreme power to resist virtually anything. But a lot of it has to do with placebo, nocebo, meaning if you don't believe that, then you can, and actually Dr. Andrew Kaufman and I discussed this when we were filming for the Terrain movie, which is a great one to watch. Is because of the work of Luis um, um, Monte, or is it um, Luke Montigny, mm -hmm. who was the Nobel Prize winner for discovering HIV? So he should know something about viruses. He did an experiment published in Nature where basically they did a teleportation of DNA, where a test tube right was within this coil that I think was emitting Schumann resonance, which is a natural resonance the Earth emits, and they were able to show that. You could send an electromagnetic magnetic wave from this test tube that contained uh, DNA to another test tube that didn't have DNA, had the little nucleic acids, but it wasn't assembled. And it was able to reassemble, you know, in, in, in distance in space and time, that exact um, DNA strand. So when people are told, listen, you, you've you been exposed to this person, you know, maybe you're at the airport and they had COVID-19 and you better watch out, you know, go get a PCR test or take a vaccine immediately because you could be sick from it. The cascade of hormones and the fear that is involved in that can literally manifest particles that one could attribute to being pathogenic or the cell starts to degrade in such a way that it alters, you know, pleomorphically the selection of particles that naturally exist around it. So when you look at it or do a quote PCR test, which are not in any way effective at ascertaining or differentiating different coronaviruses, right? That was something that 
Carrie Mullis made very clear who was the inventor of the device and technology and got a Nobel Prize for it. So he would know that you cannot use it for this purpose. Well, regardless, if you were to do it, you might find a viral particle and think, oh, you know, or a particle emitted from the cell and say, oh, we found the culprit. But it was actually manifested as a, as a cascade of the very suggestion that the person is sick. Um, I know this sounds kind of crazy to people, but this was um, well documented in Aboriginal cultures, for example, where you had someone who was a shaman who would point a bone at one of the tribe's members and they would tell them you're going to die because you're cursed and they would go and die the next day. And then, and then we've seen this repeated in modern medicine with the whole white coat priest of the body Um you know, phenomenon, same thing where people are told their prognosis and then they end up dying right in exact uh, alignment with the uh, prognosis because they, you know, they believe that the health authority knows more about their body than them themselves. Yeah. Yeah. No, this is so true. The perception really does matter, right? Perception in your belief changes your emotions, which changes your vibrational frequency and the it either makes the structure of water more coherent or incoherent, which then can change your genetic expression. So I'm fully on board with what you're saying. You know, in my own experience of trying to help people to reverse chronic and autoimmune diseases, what I have found is that the people who actually have a diagnosis versus yeah. people who are just sick and the doctors never gave them a diagnosis, the people who have the diagnosis it is much harder for them to reverse the disease than mm. the people who might have the same symptoms, but they never got labeled with a disease. Yes. In our modern culture, these disease labels carry with them this fear. They're like death sentences, right? Because modern culture says they're not reversible. So mm. as soon as you're labeled, it's like, well, I'm, I'm going to have this disease forever. There's The doctor says there's nothing they can do about it except maybe manage my symptoms with medication. And forevermore, I'm going to have to check the box, you know, of autoimmune disease or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that dictates the physiology of those people. It's like that perception overrides any type mm -hmm. of changes on the that we're making on the physical level that should, in theory, reverse the condition. A hundred percent. In fact, I've never seen a more extreme example of this in modern medicine than when it comes to cancer diagnosis and treatment, because unfortunately, the way that it's presented is that, you know, you you are irresponsible and maybe suicidal if you don't do chemo when you're diagnosed. And then when they experience the iatrogenic harms of chemo, that's not in any way figured into the equation. It's always the cancer that caused them to die. It's not the radiation, it's not the chemo, it's not the fear. It's just it's just sad, you know, that people forget that this is a very basic thing, which is we have to take ownership of our health. And the moment we give our authority to others, even whether it's a natural health care practitioner, a, a, a family member, or someone in a white coat, that's when really um, we don't have the ability to recruit the incredible healing energies that are available to us otherwise. Yes. And that's one thing I love about your book and about this masterclass is that you are really trying to empower people, right? You're educating them on the body's God-given ability to regenerate. You're going through multiple case studies, you know, multiple original studies published, peer reviewed, you know, studies published in the scientific and medical literature. 
um, to encourage and inspire them that they do have this great power within themselves. And it's just that a lot of us, it's like that power has been, we've given it away. We've mm -hmm. let them take it from us and we don't often realize it, but we're actually sitting in this victim mentality, you know, yeah. until somebody points it out to you. So can you go talk a little bit about that? Like these stem cells, right? I call them, you know, they're, they're God's do-over for us, right? That you can make mistakes and learn from them. Like you said, you know, go off course of your diet, learn your body didn't want that. And it's okay. It will heal itself because we have yes. these stem cells. Can you maybe talk a little bit more about stem cells and some of the research that you've uncovered that gives you um, just absolute certainty that we have these stem cells and they can regenerate our bodies? Absolutely. Well, first, I want to just um, affirm what you're saying around um, the trap and the seductive nature of victimhood needs to be, I think, really highlighted. Because ultimately, the reason why the allopathic model is so attractive, you could even say psychiatrically, is because we all know, like we have this inner wisdom, you know, and many who have are people of faith, they have God watching Every, every move is that we know when we haven't applied the best effort, you know, we spent, you know, months on Netflix, or we've just chosen to eat badly, we don't exercise. And then, you know, suddenly you have this chronic stuff that keeps coming up, and you pop some Tylenol or, and you just don't take responsibility for your body. It's almost like a ne neglected child. And yes, we're all under extreme pressure. And we're often parents trying to do our best to show up and so you almost have a calculus of, oh, I have to neglect myself to help them. So you have to have compassion for yourself, but you have to have the type of compassion where you realize that if you take responsibility for your illness and you see the ways in which the diagnoses have colluded with giving you a free pass or maybe getting the attention of family members to help you out because, oh, you have a condition now, you know, she's got a condition. Okay. What's she going to do? You know, it's, it's a way of taking responsibility again. And then when you do that, you know, you can also uncreate the condition. So it's, it's a two way, you know, double, double sided coin. If you take full responsibility where there's no victims left, you're not complaining anymore, blaming anyone else or your body or your doctor. And you say, well, you know what, if I put myself in this position, I can uncreate it. And that's when you find true true empowerment. But what my masterclass and my life hopefully is about is, first of all, living the example. I really do my best to prioritize my health and well-being. You know, I just turned 50 and I want to stay really young and healthy. I have to. You know, I've got a lot of work still to do. I've got children, you know, and being happy is a choice, really. You can. And so for that's number one. Um, but I really want people to understand that. Um, it starts with faith in yourself, okay? Know that you and your body, your God-given miraculous body can regenerate. That any disease that you've been told you're saddled with or is inevitable, that's only going to get worse, that is actually sorcery. I really, we could, we could talk about revelations if we want even about what's happening now, medically speaking, around this planet. Like I said, we can even reference biblical passages because it's so true that uh, this is really sorcery, you know, we should all be told that it is a God given right for us to, you know, have a body, you know, that that when you nourish it, it actually 
grows and feels good and safe. You know, this is like very basic stuff. Like God is good is what I'm saying. And our body and our life should be an example of that. We just have to kind of get out of our own ways and not let again, the trap of these, you know, well, pharmacy, a pharmacy literally does mean sorcerer. And that's the origin of the word pharmaceutical. And that's, you go back to revelations. I think it says that at the end of times, the merchants of the world will control all the nations of the world through pharmacia. So there you go. For people who are biblical, it's amazing because it's in there. Um, anyway, um, so the other thing you're really focusing on here, wait, what was the second question? Because that was the part that was really exciting. If you could give some examples from your own studies about mm -hmm. how the body does regenerate itself, like how you know without a doubt that yeah. like the organs, the organ systems can heal themselves. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. So that's um, one of the things I spent so much time investigating in the literature. And I was just shocked and, and actually excited to find that our bodies in all the tissue types, your, your liver, your skin, your brain, your heart, they have these little populations of relatively quiescent cells. They're not rapidly dividing. They're just kind of sitting there chilling, waiting for the day when they're recruited because some of the cells got hurt in that organ. And so they're recruited and usually that's happening through inflammation. So when we think about why our body hurts after we exert ourselves or fall, those inflammatory hormones and enzymes are being recruited so the stem cells can regenerate that tissue. So what happens, unfortunately, though, in the case of chronic inflammation, where the, let's say, you know, you have a uh, thorn in your toe and you're in pain and you take, you know, aspirin or willow bark and you're just like, wow, okay, helps, but you never remove the thorn. Well, that's like the modern lifestyle, which contributes to cancer and other chronic diseases. If you can remove the thorn, then there's just one cycle of regeneration. But if it's there and your body's constantly trying to regenerate, that can lead to what is really known as a, a cancerous phenotype, where the cell is, is being recruited in its ability to technically be immortal and to regenerate really any tissue in your body. And it, it, it immortalizes and, and it also loses track of where it belongs in the body because things are too messy. Things have been affected adversely from, again, electromagnetic wavelengths that aren't natural or foods that are absolute toxic and synthetic and emotions, as you say, that restructure the water in such a way that you can't heal effectively. All these things that every natural health person has been talking about since the beginning of our movement are all relevant to the discussion, you know, that when you start to take full control of your health destiny and you start to take responsibility, your body's stem cells will do exactly what they were meant to do. They're just destined to heal you and make you feel good again. We just have to get out of their way. I love that. Now, can we run out of stem cells? Yeah, so that's a, a really good point. And so there are these things at the end of the chromosomes, right? So at, when the cell divides, you know, there's mitosis, the chromosomes have to split in half, and it's a very vulnerable place. That's why chemo and radiation are actually genotoxic agents and carcinogens, because they technically just destroy any cell that has been dividing so that they can then have that genotoxic effect and hope that they just don't turn into cancer cells. But unfortunately that doesn't happen very often. 
So ultimately, the telomeres are the ends of these chromosomes, and it's nonsensical. They don't contain, you know, information that we believe actually contribute to like creating a protein in the body. And they're of a certain length when you're born, dependent on your genetic heritage, as well as your diet and other factors, including even how much love is in your body, because they've done research on this, right? Because there's an enzyme called telomerase, which heals up the ends of the shoe. It's like... um shoestrings where you have the little plastic piece that protects it so the telomerase comes in and it heals up the end so that you can divide more and more cells keep regenerating without all these errors which again can lead to cancer or other issues so technically tel telomerase upregulation happens through eating really good food that again is within the ancestral template you know that's not just some sudden new synthetic fad that we invented after you know, timeless consumption of other really more beautiful foods. Um, so, so that's one of the things that we know um, is is able to extend our life and help to even reverse biological age. The best example I like to reference is an Italian study on smokers, where they looked at the women's skin quality. You know, and you reach a certain age. You know, at fifty, I'm even looking at my wrinkles. I'm like, I'd like something to do. You know, to make it better and. Yeah. Uh, in that really great study, the well, <laughs> I said, by the way, you do not look 50 at all. You look oh, well, that's okay. That's a good thing. 50 is a new 40. How about that? <laughs> Maybe when I'm 60, I can look 50. Yeah. But, um, well, part of it is I tried my best to employ the practices of the Regenerate Yourself Masterclass. So hopefully I'm doing good with that. But the idea is that these women simply were asked to stop smoking. And within nine months, their biological age reversed 13 years. Wow. As, yeah, as measured by very um, hard fact-based uh, skin measurements. So that's just one example. It doesn't mean that our listeners are smokers. And, you know, the point, though, is that there's so many toxicants we're exposed to, many of which are right there on the label of most of the things we like to consume. I mean, look at like oat milk. Uh, most of them have rapeseed oil as the second ingredient, which even if it's organic and non-genetically modified, it's still going to produce arachidonic acid, which is a substrate for, you know, the inflammatory enzymes like cyclooxygenase, which accelerate aging and peroxidation of lipids and things like that. So the idea is just very basic things of going back to, again, a natural diet, preferably grown on your own farm, um, things like this, and, and just helping to enhance our body's detoxification uh, can go so far in um, us reaching, you know, reaching the heights of what we can experience with our health. I love that. And you can actually grow the telomeres, right? By doing things like meditation. Is that true? Yes. Isn't that interesting? Meditation, prayer, any form of, you know, really just touching into your, your nature, you know, and just just silence. I mean, and definitely rest. What I've learned, this has been one key learning for me just in the past month is I'm one of those people that loves to work out intensely. You know, it's like I'm on the battlefield. Like I just have to try to kill myself. And then afterwards, I just feel so great because I didn't die and I have all those great hormones, <laughs> but I wasn't resting. So now what I do is I go out of my way every, every, day after I, I work out intensely just to do a rest day. And, and it turns out rest is extremely anabolic. It gets you out of the sympathetic fight or flight dominant state. 
And although you might feel a little sore and tired and not as creative, you know, it's essential for us to go through that vegetative, parasympathetic, regenerative phase. And there are many hacks to do that, like turning off your blue lights, you know, using red light or night shift on your devices. Oh, what a difference that can make, you know, and it just resets your circuitry so that you're not dealing with elevated cortisol. And that's, you know, linked to midsection fat and cardiovascular risk. So there's a lot of things we can do with just, it's actually not doing. So to your point around telomerase, sometimes just rest is what we need most. And speaking to the earlier conversation, sickness syndrome is a term that was introduced to explain why people get sick in the modern age is because they don't actually have the time or put aside the time to rest. So we get sick, you know, the seasonal flu, for example, is, is, is one of the socially acceptable, although now it's been characterized as potentially deadly to the world, ways in which we can take a week or two off if needed so we don't die. We're in bed, we're not eating, we're asocial, we're actually fasting, we're sweating because we haven't done that through exercise or saunas, and, you know, we're eliminating so it's really another example of where we get sick to save our lives from things like cancer often. It's a form of detoxification and homeostatic resetting of our immune system. So not to ever villainize or demonize the way that the body expresses symptoms. You know, it's, it is truly a, a, a spiritual organ. Like our body has an incredible logic to it and how it works. And if we respect it and allow it to have what it needs, then it will always heal itself. I love that. So, uh, so in terms of acute sicknesses, like you're talking about, I have since going through my own healing journey and, you know, really diving deep and praying a lot about this, I've really started to change my perception of what acute and chronic sickness actually even is. Mm -hmm. And I'm coming around to this thought that, uh, that sickness, let's take acute in this example, it's really the body trying to detoxify itself. So the symptoms that you experience are detoxification symptoms, right? So then I thought piggybacking this onto um, microRNAs. Mm. You know how, for instance, trees can signal each other that like, you know, there's some, there's some danger in the environment and they can signal through their root system or also through the chemicals released in their leaves. Yeah. What do you think about this idea that humans yes. also can signal each other right through the mic through exchanging the micro RNAs. So we're helping each other by like giving upgrades to our system. Yes. Yes. Oh, you, you, oh, so you don't think I'm crazy? No, this is great. In fact, at the beginning of again the declared pandemic, what I did was I released a series of videos on exactly this explanation. Uh, of yeah, it was really helpful uh, because so I actually coined the phrase, uh, the xenogen hypothesis. What I was trying to do is take the word xeno, like xenohormesis and pathogen and put them together to neutralize the extremes because you have the anti, you know, germ theory camp, it's all terrain, there's no viruses. And then you had the, you know, it's just exosomes camp, right? Like, oh, well, yeah. actually, you know, there's the other side, sorry, that was, oh, it's a weaponized virus that is going to kill us all. So shut up about it not existing. And so, but you're, you're exactly, exactly on point. So microRNAs are actually, I believe, emitted and shared within a community. Well, first it's families, right? Because you have the, you know, the inter-individual 
communication of so-called disease particles, you know, because there's the one side that says there's no contagion at all, doesn't exist. And there's actually, I could actually get behind that to a degree because it's very hard to pr prove that any particular invisible particle has ever infected anyone. You just, it's, you can't really do that effectively. It's very difficult. Um, but the reality is that xenohermesis, for example, a plant like a, a berry gets stressed by environmental factors. It could be bugs or the weather changes, and they produce these incredible compounds called polyphenols. That's why, um, you know, good wine uh, has stressed itself to the point where it's producing more resveratrol. Now, the cool thing is we consume resveratrol, and it induces a xenohermetic effect where all these longevity pathways are activated, including reproducing uh, pretty pretty closely caloric restriction. It's as if we're fasting and we didn't have to do the work. That's how powerful those compounds are. Why would that be? Well, because we share a destiny. Humans right, are part of the so-called metazoa complex animal life. And uh, angiosperm plants that flower and produce fruit and beautiful, you know, smells, they co, you know, evolved in a similar pathway. And there's a love affair, if you will, and collaboration going on. So that is why if you look at a pomegranate, it looks just like a human ovary. It has the same hormones, believe it or not, as a human or mammalian ovary. It has um, estradiol and then it has uh, testosterone. And it has um, another hormone, I forgot the name of, but it replaces the need for the mammalian ovary in the ovarectomy induced model of, you know, menopause and osteoporosis. It literally re replaces it because it is actually the fruiting ovary of that tree. It's technically a berry. You slice it down the middle and it literally looks like an ovary as well. And it confers so many health benefits to our species that arguably if I was to eat one thing on the planet to prevent disease or, or you know, would probably be po pomegranate because it would literally scrapes the arteries and reverses plaque buildup in the arteries, clinically proven in Israel. And it uh, has all these anti-infective and anti-cancer properties as well. You know, these are all the primary things that people are concerned about, right? I'm going to die from a heart attack, cancer, you know, and of course, everyone wants eternal youth. Well, Cross-culturally, pomegranate was known for that, for fertility, for prosperity. So to go back to the point is that microRNAs have been communicated horizontally between these plants, right? The angiosperms, which still support 70% of the food we eat on this planet, and those animals, because it's in their benefit for us to be healthy and to sow the seeds for them, help them as part of the reproductive um, a cycle. And it's in our benefit, obviously, for them to be alive. That's why they've taken over most of the arable surface of the planet if we don't let the GMO folks take over the earth and create a death star out of it, which is sort of what they're doing with their biocides and all this. So that horizontal transfer is well established. We wouldn't exist were it not for that case. So there are other examples of that where, you know, there are certain foods that we need to be healthy. So for example, if we don't get fruits and vegetables and berries, cancer is often a result. So it's literally a deficiency of compounds and microRNAs that for just huge amounts of time we, we have been dependent on. So Xenohermesis then is a beneficial thing. Now, if someone gets sick and they're exhibiting symptoms of detoxification, 
one of the things that happens is the particles that are emitted from those cells contain codes of information which could be beneficial if not life-saving to those other individuals because they themselves like this person who got sick first in that family is like a canary in a coal mine and they may have an essential program for detoxification for example that is now transferable and available to the family that's why it's always so weird isn't it how someone gets sick in the family and another person's totally fine they're quote naturally immune because they didn't need the program mm. in theory so xenohormesis can be transferred um uh in other words ms exosomes viruses whatever we want to call them may perform a vital function now there are cases where someone is so sick so toxic like let's look at uh alcohol withdrawal the, the, you'll, you can die from it or benzodiazepine same thing they're that powerful a toxicant that you can't just go cold turkey so what often happens i believe is that there are cases where people have become so sick and so unsupported in the right way when they do get sick that they do appear to die from what what appears to have been an infectious challenge right through a particle being transferred but it's ultimately a again a xenohormetic um sort of template and and it's it's it always existed like the whole idea behind vaccination only exists because of the observation that some animals would get sick in a group and then you know because of some challenge it could be environmental or they would and then after those challenges they would be immune so immunity was always conceived um, through observation of ourselves and animals. And then the vaccine agenda came in and said, oh no, it's because vaccines that any of us are alive or not getting sick. And they tried to use that natural fact to promote that agenda. So I don't know if that makes sense. I know I went everywhere again, but I have thematized it very clearly in several videos and articles that I wrote on the topic. No, I love that. And there's a great explanation, you know, because I was grappling with this concept during, you know, the COVID time period. I was thinking, I was listening to um, Dr. Cowan a lot. And then obviously, you know, the people who are believing that there are viruses and I'm trying to put this together in my mind and what do I actually believe and what resonates with me. And I thought maybe these are two extremes, right? Maybe there's a little truth here and there, but nobody really has it right. Mm -hmm. And I thought it is possible that you could say that there is no virus, but my husband and I talked about it a lot and we kept getting hung up on this concept that, you know, we have young kids and it seems like when one person gets sick, they spread it through the family. So if there's no virus, there's no concept of contagion. I was, it was really baffling. Right. And then I thought, well, what if it's not a true contagion, yes. right? What if it is actually, we are transferring something that could be an exosome containing yeah. these genetic pieces of information that would upgrade like, like a software upgrade in your computer, you know? And to me, that makes more, at least at this point where I am in this yeah. current space, that makes more sense to me because I, it can explain what we see within our own family and other families you know, and, and it leaves wiggle room and it's, and we see, like I said, trees and plants do it already. Yes. So why would God not have given us that same ability to help each other? We know we're meant to be tribal in a community. Yeah. Why wouldn't God have given us, he gave us stem cells to regenerate our own body. Why wouldn't he given us the ability to help each other mm -hmm. adapt and, and become more resilient in our environment? 
Well, we can take it further. Here's an example is so like, I love the metaphor of, you know, the hardware of our bodies is set in stone to a degree, like we said, takes hundreds of thousands of years for one protein coding gene to change. The software, though, can be changed like that. And that's the beauty of the software concept of microRNAs or exosomes transferring genetic information in practically real time. So, but the analogy is actually like what happened to a friend of mine in Hawaii when they received a text message on their phone that an intercontinental missile was going to land in 30 minutes. And it was a complete, it, it was a mistake that that wasn't going to happen. But everybody freaked out. You can imagine they're like, oh my God, I only have 30 minutes to live. What are we going to do? And that's what it's like to transfer information that may have been altered or synthesized, or maybe, for example, self amplifying vaccines, which the unfortunately the research community and vaccine companies have created, which enable you to shed particles after being vaccinated of those synthetic nucleosides, which, you know, again, may have been weaponized or not. So there is that potential now for us to get bad information transferred. And, and so in that sense, the, the, the underlying mechanism exists solely for our ability to survive and evolve and protect ourselves as families and communities. But um, yeah, things are being uh, changed because of the you know modern agendas and and the age we live in. But man, you you nailed it. You're the only person I've ever talked to that independently had the same explanation come up. So we should pursue this. I should share with you my articles, and if you feel like it, we should we should get this out to more people because I think it's actually a really good explanation. And one another example is I do cold plunge and I do sauna. And I'm in Florida, and the theory is is if you don't do cold occasionally, you're like rotting meat in the sun. Your skin ages rapidly, you degenerate because we don't get the compression of our cardiovascular system, you know? So when you do cold, it's like the ancient cycles of, you know, the sun goes down, it gets cooler and it gets, you know, hotter the next day. You take that away with controlled temperatures. But um, my, my understanding is why is seasonal influenza happening in the way that it does? And why do we phenomenologically feel like we're shivering when we have a high fever? because we don't experience those extremes that we required. And so it's almost like a paleo deficiency and or restoration of something we are now missing and need to actually, um, um, uh, what, is, what do you call it? Be able to have homeostasis. So theoretically, even the symptoms of influenza speak to how far we've deviated from nature's cycles. And when you do the things that I do, which is I go out of my way to detoxify, or what they used to do when you got a fever, you go under the covers and you sweat it out. Like it was not considered the, the enemy of the universe that everyone had locked down their entire world over, right? And oh well, now God. they try to suppress the fever. Which is even worse, exactly. Yeah. They hurt the liver. And, and, and so the theory, here's a, another great explanation. Dr. Cowan deserves credit. Is that the easy gel water when you raise the temperature, it's able to liquefy, solubilize a lot of the toxicants that have accumulated and, and exude them or get them out of the cell. So it's a great explanation for, for why fever is so effective, but it's also a great explanation for why people like me and others go into saunas. We already know that it helps to get out much of the heavy metals and plastics that aren't even measurable in the plasma. They accumulate in you know, fat to protect our rapidly dividing cells from going cancerous or getting damaged. So we have all these toxicants in our body. 
So if we're going about detoxifying our bowels, livers working great, kidneys, but instead you get a fever and then they want you to take an antipyretic like Tylenol, which hurts your liver further, that's how you ended up in this mess. So it's sort of like, and then of course they blame the morbidity and mortality on the virus. And then suddenly it's it's really all about basic principles, you know. And I'm so bummed because we only have like six minutes left. I have so many more questions. Okay. Um, I'm going a little bit longer, like maybe 10 more minutes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And so let me get this in because I know probably people listening to this are going to kill me if I don't ask you this question. What are some of the things that you do to detox? You mentioned sauna. And by the yeah. way, do you believe that, um, say someone doesn't have access to a sauna, is it just as effective of a detox if to do, um, sweat through exercising? Yes, I believe so. I like, so what I do is do high intensity interval training and I take a um, diaphoretic, right? It helps me sweat more uh, ginger and it's full of these incredible exosomes. And so when you do that, and I actually intend to sweat more. And, and then by the way, if you get yourself to the point where you're profusely sweating, oh my Lord, what an incredible regenerative effect it has on the hormones in your body, the stem cells, and testosterone, if you're a man, you know, progesterone, if you're a woman, estrogen, it's just it's amazing what you can do with the alchemy of your own body if you put the effort in. Um, and then you just feel great. Um, so, but yes, that's a great question. And, but for some people who have injuries, mobility issues, and are just easing in, saunas can be an excellent solution, but it's a lot harder, I think, for them to embrace cold plunging, which on the in the beginning steps seems not fun. And yet I can tell you, if you get through it, it can be some of the most ecstatic experiences of your life if you know how to do the cold plunge correctly. So, you know, I encourage people to do that as well. So you, you do those. Are there certain herbs that you consume for detox purposes specifically? Well, for me, the most important thing, and I think this is generally true, is make sure you're moving your bowels daily. You know, like you want to make sure, right, you go to bed, you're not eating too late. And so the food's just gumming you up and you're not regenerating. So when you wake up, if there's a way to enhance that, I like using milk thistle for me personally. It helps out a lot, as well as I use magnesium often the night before because it helps me relax. It's so good for us because we all have ectopic calcifications due to the way things are today in, in our diet environment, magnesium being one of the best solutions for that. And of course, calcification of arteries is the end stage of heart disease. It's really the, the calcium that is the primary issue at that point. You can have an atheroma and it's not atherogenic if you don't have all this calcification occurring, which can be reversed. So magnesium, pomegranate, vitamin K2, there are all these great methods. Uh, but that's why the masterclass is my attempt to at least go through categories like heart and like, you know, brain and cancer and try to share the information that took me about 10 minutes, 10 years to accumulate on Greenman Info and try to put it into a way that's more accessible, you know, otherwise it gets to be overwhelming. Um, yeah. Emotionally detox, you know, like I was... I've been following your career for quite some time now, you know, great admirer of yours. I've learned a lot from you. And during the COVID period, uh, my heart was just breaking when I was learning about what they were doing to you, you know, that you were, you were on this disinformation dozen list and they were like out to get you and deplatforming you and um, really, you know, trying to crush you and yeah. 
take away your livelihood. And I thought, man, I don't know how many people could actually survive that, survive that pressure, you know, and you came out of it even stronger, right? I mean, you're not stopping. You're still um, shining your voice, shining the light on the topics. So I can only imagine what kind of stress you must have been under, what kind of emotional toll that must have taken. Can you tell, I mean, you're welcome. I don't want to put you on the spot. If you want to share um, difficult times you went through and how did you overcome them to the point where you seem more resilient now than ever? Well, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think for me, all my work early on was out of necessity. You know, some of us are born where if you don't express yourself, then you're going to die. That's how it feels like. It's like a poet can be that way or someone who really has to. I've always been that way. So when this happened, I was actually surprised by them validating the work that was done. You know, finally, right? They're like, well, I mean, I didn't realize ever that natural health advocacy was going to be the center of controversy and even a target for this international agenda. So if anything, I guess it made me think more about why I'm here fundamentally. And it's like, oh, okay, that's why I chose to be, you know, you know, and been given an opportunity to be alive at this time was so that I could do this work. Um, but there were times for sure where I was concerned that they were going to try to do something to me because they were, you know, populating the global media with phrases like we're killing people from the president himself. Right. I was like, really, we're killing people. Oh, my. But the crazy thing about it was that the propaganda people, it was just completely the media has um, complete control, but there was absolutely no organic indication that anyone believed any of this like that, that there's no people out there that were upset at me i've never had a single person say anything to me that wasn't nice so it's like in the real world while i'm sure that they're tracking me like they are most all americans through digital surveillance and all the agendas which we like to you know still expose on agreement info um the good news i think that maybe it's because i have done my best to prioritize self-care so it is really about the regenerate yourself ethos and also i'm just grateful at this point of all the people like yourself and everyone out there that stood their ground and was reasonable with those who were getting bent out of shape you know it, it actually behooves us more than ever to embody a state of tranquility and peace when it comes to what's going on in fact my i guess closing advice would be that I think that the agenda of agendas is truly to polarize and fragment and um, put energy into divisions of any kind. So everyone sees on both sides of whatever divide you're on, just how polarizing things are. So the best thing we can do is to um, continue to remember we're all human and uh, to forgive ourselves and each other and do the best we can to, you know, like just be, be the change we want to, be in the world. It's, it is as simple as that. I think Gandhi might've said that, right? And uh, and enjoy our lives. Like actually joy, I think is gonna be the solution. It's not who's more right or wrong. You know, it's really about, can you facilitate happiness in your life? And um, yeah, find ways to maintain your resilience. I think that's the key. I love that. Okay, and my last question about this is, with all the research that you've done during this time period, what do you think is the agenda 
Like, do you think it's this great reset with this, you know, public private partnerships and they want to control, like, you know, you will own nothing and be happy. Like, do you think they want us on the smart grids? They could, you know, control us, um, the ultimate power. And so are they then aiming for us to be divisive as a distraction while they build this uh, one world order? Or what What do you think? <laughs> I love your questions because you pretty much nailed it so far. I can't oh. disagree with any of that. I mean, like so- two peas in a pod. For- <laughs> I mean, my belief is that we are in a critical stage of the evolution, obviously, of our planet as a community, as a species, and that we have this opportunity right now to create parallel structures that will um, create a new timeline. So the timeline they have absolutely is literally living in a AI, Borg, hive mind, technocratic you know, um, social credit system like um, Gulag, basically, where every nanosecond and nanometer of your life is is inspected and controlled. And this is this is not conspiracy theory. I mean, this is literally the agenda. If you listen to the World Economic Forum speakers about how, you know, they're going to really want to start going beneath the surface of the skin, if it's not Elon Musk's, you know, Neuralink, it's uh, these um, nano bots and medical surveillance that goes into your tissue with like hydrogel encapsulated um, quantum dot technology, for example, this has already been rolled out by DARPA. They already have soldiers in the field that they are using this stuff on. So this is not sci-fi. This has already been funded, just like the two, two vaccines, actually. Moderna and Pfizer's mRNA technology was funded by DARPA. It was in 2012, I believe, that or 2013 that they got the contract. That was controversial because all the profit that was being made, technically the taxpayers were owed a piece of that. So this is, again, totally open source intelligence for anyone who wants to go down that rabbit hole. So if you see what's going on in China or Australia with the zero COVID policy, with all these camps that they're setting up and just the most egregious violations of parental rights, informed consent, health freedom, we're already seeing clearly that that is the agenda. Remember, China was held up when this all happened on TV because, again, we saw the bodies dropping in the street and we were told, oh, it's the most deadly virus ever. That was literally like um, Mockingbird Media trauma-based mind control, and they used and leveraged that um, and then to shut down the rest of the world. And then, of course, they were held up as a shining example, which is why we have the World Health Organization creating their international treaty that is going to basically obligate all the member nations to get behind when Tedros decides the next uh, global health emergency exists, because he was the one person that broke the tie to say that monkeypox was a, a global health emergency. One person affecting everybody's lives on the planet, 8 billion. That's the type of tyrannical system that has emerged, unfortunately, on the backs of a so-called pandemic, right? So, so ultimately, that timeline and everything about it is so clear. And I think that the key point you made is this, is like, in order for this to work, they have to do what they're calling a, a financial reset, a great reset. So the sovereign currencies by their very bad design, you know, going back to Jekyll Island in like 1913, right? They can't, they can't continue forward. They're, they're, they're debt-based and the debt gets so big, you can't even pay the you know, interest payments on the debt. So they have to implode at a certain point, at which point the central bank-backed digital currencies 
will be implemented as a means to surveil everyone and control them down to an infinitesimal level. So if you have a high body mass index, according to their metric on Tuesday, and you walk into the store, they'll say you can only buy two cabbages that day because the actual cryptocurrency is 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 controllable and programmable down to that level. So we th that that's a type of hell that people can't even imagine the type of control they can exert. Okay, you haven't had your 15th booster. Well, I'm sorry, you can't go to the store today. You can't fly or your child can't go to the school because their temperature is 101 degrees and you have to scan them 24 seven. Like this is a very scary prospect, but knowing what's happened in China, look at what they've done with the failing gong and organ harvesting. There's such, such this system doesn't have, um, there's nothing godly about it. There's nothing ethical about it. It just, it's like a machine that just crystallizes out. So the way we can avoid being part of that and watching it collapse under its own weight is simply creating these other structures, right? And like farms, for example, learning about unschooling and, and, and homeschooling and, and actually you know, supporting good schools in your area, Waldorfs and Montessoris, for example, that are not part of this agenda. And then just finding ways to maintain your health and well-being so you know that your medicine cabinet is literally your kitchen cupboard or your refrigerator. So, you know, we don't end up on a ventilator because we had a fever. Like, you know, this is where we stand. So it's never been a greater opportunity than now to become sovereign and educated on the very basic things that I know you all have been doing incredible work on for so many years. So I have, I'm actually hopeful. I think that timeline will not manifest, which by the way, Orwell said that if you want to see a vision of the future, imagine a human face being stepped on by a boot for forever. That's the timeline he knew could crystallize. But we're thinking of the timeline where it's infinite beauty and everyone is sharing and loving. You know, like this is the this is where I live. I'm actually doing pretty good. I'm enjoying my life. My kids are happy, you know, because I'm choosing to co-create that. So uh, I'm pretty happy about that manifesting. And I think we can all do it together. I love it. Oh my goodness, now I feel inspired. I was getting kind of sad and depressed. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's true. It's all about this parallel universe that we're going to create, right? This parallel society. And, and yeah. a lot of us, a lot of our listeners, we're already doing that with farming ourselves or supporting and getting to know our local farmer, right? We're homeschooling. We're changing our perception of like in this conversation, what it means to actually be, um, to have an acute or a chronic illness, right? We're not falling victim mm. to the mainstream narrative, um, which is disempowering. So I think all of these things, as you're, you so eloquently shared, are helping us to physically create this other, this alternate of society and also mentally, spiritually, and emotionally take part in that new tribe as well. So, yes. And I'm sorry I spent so much time on the dark side because oh. so much more coming on the light. Like there are technologies that exist right now that are able to free us from energy dependence on others or fossil fuels. It's like there's so much amazing stuff coming out that is just the beginning. So just hold strong listeners, like people just keep doing the good work you're doing because ultimately I believe we're gonna be victorious. And I, in fact, I even believe that's why this whole thing happened was so that they were that desperate that they pulled this right now when in fact, everyone sees right through it at this point. So we're winning is is this is the obvious answer. <laughs> yeah, 
We definitely are keen. And if you want to continue on with connecting with Sayer, with hearing more about how to regenerate your body, how to build resilience, remember, sign up for his free online masterclass, November 28th through December 4th. And the link is in the description box. Sayer, this was the highlight of my month. <laughs> Thank oh, you for being on the show. Oh, I really I appreciate it. Well, I love your energy and I, I'm just still blown away that you came up with the explanation that I also came up with. And I do think this is actually really needs to be discussed medically because it will make a lot of sense of things that we otherwise would demonize or be afraid of. So good job on that. Well, thanks. <laughs> Let's connect on that. And we'd love to have you come yeah. back on the show next time. We'll try to get you on the show when Joel's here. He's, he's been in Africa. I'm going to be riding in on the back of a cow to your farm next time. That's I, I can't <laughs> get out there. <laughs> Chewing on hay and yeah, all that. I'm, I'm down. I, I cannot wait to come, come visit. That's awesome. All right, yeah. everybody, thank you so much for joining us. And we will see you next week. Thank you.